You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes. This week is jam-packed with action ranging from basketball to golf, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to get the front row seat to all the action. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup. DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there is no better place to get in on all the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. What's going on, everybody? This is Getting Bullied. I'm your host, Mark Giannone. And I'm joined today, uh, returning to the podcast, very glad to have him back, from way down in the nation's capital, Dan Silver. Dan, what's going on, my friend? Not much, Mark. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to be talking after a Flyers win, and, um, you know, everything's everything's good down here, man. It's, uh, I've, I've perfected the at-home filet mignon, so, you know... I know we've been talking a lot of cooking recently, but that's I, that was big, big news for me, I think. I've got it down to a science. Yeah, so for the people that don't know, this goes back to an episode we did right after Christmas. We were talking about gifts and what we got and stuff like that. I mentioned my, <clears throat> uh, my parents got me a cast iron skillet. Dan gave me a great way on how to make a steak in that, and now you've said you've perfected a filet mignon, and I have to hear how you did it. So, so the spouse was out last night with one of her girlfriends. So I'm like, you know what? I could go out and get a meal. You know, I could go out and get some food somewhere, you know, but it's going to take some time. It's going to, you know, I'm going to overpay for stuff or I could just go to the store. They've got some nice fillets there and I've got this. I think, I think we talked about one of my Christmas gifts was a sous vide, which is basically something where it's a big water bath. You control the temperature of it. Um, with this device uh and you know you cook meats in it for a long period of time and they come out perfectly and oh my god i've had salmon in it tuna filet chicken it's i'm telling you it's unbelievable everything comes out perfectly but you you finish it in the cast iron so perfect filet so you get i got the filet seasoned it with a little salt and pepper on the top and the bottom Mm -hmm. then put it in the sous vide 130 degrees on the sous vide for two hours. That's going to basically cook everything, right? Then you, you take the filet out, you, you put it on a plate, you kind of pat off. Uh, there's going to be a little bit of moisture there just because it's been sitting in the water, but it's, it's, you put it in a vacuum seal bag. So it's the filet is not actually touching the water. So um, you pat it dry, put a little more salt and pepper in there. Now at the same time, I've got my cast iron that's been in the oven. Um, for about 400 degrees for about 30 minutes, just, you know, heating up the pan. So you take the cast iron out, take the cast iron out, put it on top of the stove. I like using grapeseed oil because it's uh, got a very high burn point. So put some grapeseed oil in the pan. Now I'm going to put the filet in there and I'm going to start about 15 seconds at a time. Just, um, and I put a little more salt and pepper on the filet all sides. So the top, bottom and the sides, I've got tongs 
and I'm putting it in this searing hot cast iron for about 15 seconds, each side, top, bottom, and the sides. Then I'm going to add some butter to the pan for about another minute and kind of baste it in the butter. But you've got a spoon, put some butter on top as you keep flipping it. Then you let it rest about 10 minutes, five minutes. Oh my God. It's just, it's so perfect because it, it because with this, what the sous vide does is it cooks it all the way through at the perfect temperature, medium rare. And then you're just going to get a little sear on the top and the sides. So you've just got that little top part that's got the nice sear. And the rest of the steak, the entire steak is that perfect medium rare. It's just like, I'm telling you, it's like better than anything I've had in a restaurant. Filet at the store is going to cost you 10 bucks for one filet. It's just, oh, it, it just, you know. We talked about during this pandemic, I feel like cooking is one of the only things I can look forward to. And mm. uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's nice having those those recipes in your, you know, your back pocket. Now, you've been using that. You've been sending me some photos. You've been using that that cast iron a ton, which is a perfect way to cook. Yeah. Any Anytime there's meat involved in, in dinner or lunch or whatever, even a nice steak and eggs in the morning, it's, you got to, for those people out there, I feel like, this sous vide thing, I've seen it before. My old roommate had one. For those out there that don't know what this is, it's almost like – it almost looks like a curling iron. And you dip it in like a vat of water basically and inside the water is whatever you're cooking, the chicken, steak, whatever, in a bag. And I guess that – it just slowly brings the temperature. I guess as the water heats up, so does whatever you're cooking. Well, you wait. So what you do is, and it's, it all comes together, right? So it's, you have it at Costco. It's a sous vide kit. It's a tub of that you fill with water and then it's got the the iron device and it just attaches to the, the, the bath, I call it. Then you heat the water up to the, the perfect uh, temperature. Um, and you don't put the meat in until it's at the perfect temperature. So it okay. takes about 15, it takes about 15 minutes, heat up the water to 130. Um, and then you put the, the meats in and I've got a vacuum sealer too. So, which, uh, you know, the same company sells all this stuff. Right, uh, Nova is the, is the, is the company that makes it. And, uh, it's just, yeah, it's perfect, man. It's, it's, I did salmon in it over the weekend. Just per- the best, best cooked salmon I've ever had. Cause it just, like you real... retains, it retains all the moisture and, uh, it's just incredible. You're like a real Emerald Lagasse over there. It... Well, you know what? I'm not good at doing sauces, but okay. the, the meats and, you know, I got to I got to work on the sauces a little bit. Gotcha. So, you know, I was thinking the other day, <clears throat> I actually tweeted it out and it gained a little bit of buzz. And you're the perfect person to ask this because you were uh, you were like a full grown person in the 90s. So you saw <laughs> and understood everything. Well, that was. What's your happening. definition of full grown person? Well. Uh, I guess. How, well, how old were you in the nineties? Let me ask you that. You're probably college age, right? High school. Uh, so I was in 1990. I would have been 10, 11. Okay, so I was born in 79. Gotcha. So that all right. You're the perfect person for all the random hockey thoughts I've been having all week. I'm just gonna fire them right at you. So right, a full grown person. It, <clears throat> a full grown person to me is. You know, you you saw things in the 90s and you're going to remember them. You retained the information. So I think one of the biggest what ifs right – well, not right now, but all time in sports never talked about what if the Flyers never traded uh, Peter Forsberg in the 92 trade that brought them Eric Lindros? What do you think would have happened? 
All right, so let's go back. Let's look at the Eric Lindros trade. Let's see what I'm just pulling it up. I just want to make sure I've got everything that we traded for. So, oh man, well, you know, why can't you just find a site that basically lists out everything in like a. Okay, I here we that go. that all the time. Here we go. So, for anyone that doesn't know, the Eric Lindros trade was 1992. I was 13 years old. I was at summer camp at the time. Um, I was born in 1992. I, yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. So, so everyone, you know, I was just starting to get interested in the Flyers and you're hearing about this Eric Lindros, who's just supposed to be a monster. Um, it was different back then. There wasn't any internet, all this, you know, you just watched highlights. So the Flyers ended up trading for Eric Lindros, uh, two first round picks, Steve Duchesne, who's a very good defenseman, Peter Forsberg, who obviously turned into a superstar. Ron Hextall, who was a pretty good goalie at the time. Mike Ricci, who was uh, a former Flyers first-round pick. He's kind of like a Mike Richards type, not quite as good, but a similar type. Chris Simon, who was a big tough guy, and Kerry Huffman, who was a decent defenseman. They traded all of that for Lindros. And what was crazy was that the, the, both the Flyers and the Rangers separately had agreed to deals for Lindros. It was like the GM had done one of the deals and the team president did the other deal. So there was a voided offer from the Rangers and it actually had to go to arbitration. And I always remember being at summer camp the day it was announced the Flyers, the arbitrator awarded the, the Flyers Lindros and everyone was so excited. And it's, you know, it's just, it's a weird question, right? Because if, if Lindros had never been injured with the concussions, I still think the Flyers would have won a Stanley Cup. But he had the injury, the Flyers never won a cup. And of course, the Nordiques end up winning a cup as the Colorado Avalanche, with Forsberg being a big part of it. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if the Flyers win the cup um, with if they hadn't traded for Lindros. And the, the organization gained a lot of young fans when they did that. So... You know, overall, I think it's probably still uh, still a, a trade that 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 you know I, I it's hard to say. Like knowing what had happened and the Flyers didn't win the cup, it's like oh well, maybe we shouldn't have made the trade. But they also got to the finals. Mm -hmm. um, they right. had a couple good runs. I still think I would have made the trade at the time, knowing what I know and hoping that maybe if we go back to that time that they traded and maybe you could say to them, hey, keep your head up when you're skating through the center of the ice. Um, but yeah, they gave up a ton for, for Eric Lindros and, uh, it, it, it didn't work out for them because they didn't win the cup and the team they traded, uh, all this stuff to did win the cup. Right. I think it's kind of wild to think about. Um, like I, I don't think a prospect today would get all maybe, I mean, but I just don't think a prospect today would get in a trade, everything that the Lindros trade got, like the Nordiques could like, they basically could have rebuilt their franchise based on one drafting one guy and trading him away. I mean, two first round picks and then Peter Forsberg, who turned into a hall of famer, absolute superstar stud. Not that they knew that at the time, but it was a guy and all the other players, you know, that were NHL level players. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And I don't think in 2021 that a team, as far as, you know, in this case, would would be the Flyers. I don't think a team would kind of mortgage their future for a hope and a prayer in one guy. Yeah, but you have to think about it like this. Like, 
Eric Lindros was, you know, he, he, he was a different prospect than anyone had ever seen before because he was an, a, a crazy good scorer to the point where, you know, I'm trying to see what age this was at, but he, when he was playing um, in the OHL, let's see, 1973. So the 1990-91 season, so he was 17 years old. He, he had 150 points in 57 games in the OHL. He led the OHL in scoring by a huge margin. And that wasn't even his draft year. Like that was the year before he was going to be drafted. But it wasn't that. It wasn't just that. It was He was bigger than everyone. He was 6'4". And he just ran people over. Like when Dross playing these games, he, he could do whatever he wanted. I mean, he was just so much more physically advanced than anyone that not only was he incredibly skilled and a great scorer, but you watched him and you, you thought to yourself, this guy could do anything he wanted. And that, that did translate to the NHL for a while until he, until he started getting hit. Um, but he was, there had never been a prospect like him with his, his mix of size and skill. And so, you know, it's, it's almost like if, if Connor McDavid, when he had been drafted, Everyone knew he was going to become a superstar. If they had wanted to trade that pick, I think they would have gotten the King's ransom for it. Um, But with Lindros, it was just the mix of size and skill that he had had never been seen before. Could you imagine if Twitter was around in 1992 when all that was going on? Especially, I often imagine myself what would have happened if Twitter was around when I'm thinking about a lot of different things. Yeah, there was a big one. I was thinking about it the other day. I can't. It was sports related. I can't remember what the hell it was. I think it was football. I don't know. But yeah, Twitter is one hell, especially Flyers Twitter. And if it was around when all this Lindros stuff was going on, I don't, I don't, I think servers at wherever the hell their headquarters are for the servers would have just burnt. They would have just melted. Um, so the real team, well, not the real team, but the current team is finally coming off of a win last night against the Rangers. And I feel like. Going back to the first time they played the Rangers coming off of COVID a week ago, you know, it, it felt like a whole other offseason. It was really only, you know, a little over a week that they went without playing a game, but it felt like a whole other offseason because every day, Dan, you know, you're, there's just new names coming out with the on the COVID list, and the names are getting bigger and bigger by the day, seemingly. And then Monday rolls around, and they were supposed to practice, and they got canceled again and you're wondering if you know there's all these thoughts going around is it worse are there more players are they just kind of shutting this thing down indefinitely right now get back on the ice Tuesday play the Rangers on Thursday and they came out looking good in the first 10 minutes they scored a goal everything you're looking like okay maybe we can get past this game and in the next coming days we'll see if we can get anybody back and they end up losing that game in I believe yeah in the shootout of course and then it's the game in Lake Tahoe against the Bruins and they get out of the first period 2-2 and then shit hit the fan and you're seeing what it looks like to have half of your you know half of your starting forwards out and the Flyers are plugging and playing just anybody they can at this point this is not coming at the best time, is it? <laughs> no, it's so. I, you've, you know, I, you've seen 
teams, it's almost like you think about these things and it's like, you don't really think about it until it impacts you. You've seen guys on the COVID list, you know, teams like the devils and the wild have missed so many games early in the season. And then you start hearing about the flyers guys on the COVID list. And you're like, Oh, they're going to have to play without a lot of these guys. And then there's more and more guys going on the COVID list. And it's not just, you know, it's not just guys who are not difference makers. It's, it's Giroux and Voracek and Konechny and Lawton and Lindblom and, they're all on the COVID list. And now all of a sudden the Flyers aren't playing and it's two weeks without a Flyers game. Then they come back, but Hey, not everyone's back. So the NHL apparently makes the decisions on, you know, what, what, what is the critical mass of players that you have to have on this list that you can't play. So the NHL is telling the Flyers, Hey, you gotta keep, you gotta play, even though you don't have Giroux or Voracek or Konechny or any of these guys, you've got to play. And it, it, it means that the bottom half of the lineup is is not very good. I mean, the Flyers are putting out their, you know, Andreoff and Twarensky and Sam Moran and Friedman before he was he was lost to waivers. These guys are all playing forward. Moran and Friedman are forwards in one of the games. Um, and, and then you have to go to Lake Tahoe and play against one of the best teams in the league in the Bruins and a team that owns you. And it was it was sort of predictable what happened. Carter right. Hart was horrible, horrible, and you know some of it might have to do with the, the the conditions of the rink and this glare from the sun and whatever. But he was really bad, and they just got blown out. They can't beat the Bruins. I mean, they only have I think they only have one regulation loss this year that was not to the Bruins. No, I think maybe oh yeah, Buffalo. I think was their only regulation loss um, to a team other than the Bruins. But they've lost four games, five games, I think. No, what is it? One, two, three. Yeah, they've lost five games against the Bruins so far this year. So take those games out, and they're one of the best teams in the league from a record perspective. But, yeah, they can't beat the Bruins. They get smoked on Sunday. Then they come back. And I thought, you know, they got Giroux back last night against the Rangers. And he was, man, what a beast. Three assists, eight shots on goal. He was all over the place, was Claude Drew. And he had said he actually had COVID. So he had symptoms for a few days. He said he felt great. Vino said he didn't know what to expect. Well, man, he, he was incredible. Um, the Rangers were without a bunch of guys, too. So, you know, the Flyers didn't have Voracek, Konechny, Lindblom, or Lawton. But the Rangers didn't have Panarin. Truba's out. Um, Capo Caco is out. So they, they were without a bunch of guys, too. And it was a really entertaining game. It was actually, I thought it was the most entertaining game of the year. Lots of breakaways, lots of things coaches don't want to see. But it was an entertaining game. You know, the Flyers did enough to get the job done. Their big guns came through. And uh, it was a good good win. And now hopefully we'll start getting some of these guys back. I saw that Voracek could come off the COVID list today. Lindblom and Lawton could come off on Saturday. Konechny could come off on Sunday. So... Hopefully you start getting the whole roster back and then you don't have to play against uh, the Bruins. You only have, what do they only have three games left against the Bruins this season. So, mm-hmm. so that's good. Yeah. I mean, what, that, that game on, on Sunday against Boston was a disaster and you're right. You kind of saw it coming. You almost had to see it coming. You're playing against, like you said, one of the best teams in the league, obviously the best team in your division and a team that, you know, even at full full go, you've been having trouble with. 
And it was just, it was a disaster waiting to happen. I mean, anytime you're running two defensemen out there, playing them as forwards, and I don't care what anybody says about what this project is with Sam Moran, he's not a forward, he is a defenseman. But anytime you're running two defensemen out there playing forward, you could you could bet your bottom dollar that it's not going to go well for you. Especially... And I saw you talking about this on Twitter the other day, but especially when guys that are there that are your regulars aren't stepping up to the plate a little bit and doing a little bit more. I mean, obviously, to, you know, Couturier, Faraby, who's been a beast all year, and JVR, they've been just doing it all year. When Couturier was, you know, obviously he was out for a couple of weeks, but when he came back, I think his first game back, he scored a goal. So those guys, the guys that brought you here, they've been doing good all year, and they're picking it up with these guys out. But they needed more out of a guy like Nolan Patrick, who he's out there physically, but he's making zero impact on the game. He's he's completely out of his game in doing the stuff that he needs to do to be successful and to make a difference on this roster right now. And thank God that Claude Giroux came back when he did last night and played the way he did. And hopefully, you know, I don't know how bad anybody has COVID that tested positive from a Flyers perspective. He said it was pretty bad for a couple of days, but I know everybody's affected differently. Hopefully, the, the guys that are coming back slowly but surely adjust to the game again as quickly as he did. And maybe because I remember when Ghost came back, it seemed like he was kind of out of it for a couple games. Took him a little bit to get back up to speed. Hopefully we're not, you know, two weeks from now when guys are still trying to get their legs onto them because of this virus that is just kicking everyone's ass. Yeah, you know, the, one of the nice things is, well, the next two games are against Buffalo, Friday or Saturday, Sunday. It's hard to keep track of the schedule. But they play Buffalo Saturday, Sunday, and Buffalo is not very good. So I was looking yesterday, and Taylor Hall, who Buffalo signed, I think he's got like one goal this season. He's got a bunch really? of assists, but um, yeah, he's just got one goal. And there's now more rumors of Eichel, you know, Eichel maybe being traded. So Buffalo predictably has kind of been not very good this season. Um, you know, r- right now they sit at the bottom of the division with the Devils. They've got the two worst records in the division. So hopefully playing against Buffalo, maybe you don't need your full complement to, to beat those guys. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's strange, strange days in, in, in the NHL. Um, and it, here's the other thing is like, do these guys who are coming back, they need to practice with the team before they can play. Like Voracek comes, he's eligible to come off today. Um, I don't know if he'll be able to get a practice in. I, I think he will today. But then you've got Konechny, uh, or no, Lindblom and Lawton, I think, can come off Saturday, potentially. Well, there's no practice on the game days, so when are they going to play next? I don't know. And, and the other question, right, is did these guys actually have COVID, or are they just you know, on the list because of contact tracing? So Justin Braun said he had COVID pretty bad for five days. He was pretty sick. He was eligible to come off yesterday, but didn't. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to be different for every team with, with who's getting it and, and, and what's happening. And will the NHL actually be able to, to finish the season on a on, you know, somewhat regular basis? So right now, originally the schedule was supposed to go until May 8th for the Flyers. Now it looks like their latest game is May 10th, which means they're also putting additional games during 
you know, during the time off they were supposed to have. It's, uh, yeah, it's just crazy, man. It's, it's going to be nice when, when I, I don't know when it will happen, but when the world, you know, kind of gets back to normal, I'm not a, you know, I'm not even going to guess it, it, what that might be, but, mm. um, yeah, for the flyers, I mean, it's just, it's almost like you just take it a game at a time. And, 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 and right now you look at the standings and flyers are they're third in the division and, from a games played perspective, they've played fewer games than, than a couple of the teams around them. So that's an advantage also. I mean, right. they're, you know, based on a few different statistics in terms of points percentage, they're actually tied for the Bruins with the, you know, the lead in the division based on, you know, the amount of points that they've gotten in regulation and, and overtime without shootout wins. So you know, I think we can at least be happy that the Flyers are in a good position from a standings perspective and they're getting some of these guys back. And now they just have to focus on trying to figure out some of the problems that are causing them to be so bad from an analytics and, and, and you know, shots allowed perspective. I mean, I, not even so much. Shot, yeah, I guess it is shots allowed, but I, I wanted to go back because I saw last night. um they had almost 40 shots, a 39 shots last night and actually outshot the Rangers for the game, which I went back to look and it's actually, it was actually the last time they did it. They actually outshot a team was one of the games against Boston recently or yeah, the beginning. Well, yeah, the beginning of February, the two, one loss, they outshot them by one shot, but they, they shot they, they had almost 40 shots last night, 39 shots. So I went back to see the last time they had 30. It's been eight games since the Flyers, since last night. It's been eight games since they scored or since they shot 30 or more in one game. Other than that, and I see it's like kind of a big debate on Twitter going back and forth as far as, you know, just getting shots and then there's quality shots, which I get, but. I feel like, and I said this the other day, that I think that the way this team is right now as far as guys just being out, and it's major players in your lineup, I think that it take, and maybe they are, but to take a step back, simplify the game, and just get whatever shots come to you. Because right now, you don't really have the players in your lineup where you can do the things you want to do and look for that, you know, make that extra pass look for that perfect shot to get on goal. I think right now they just need to bring, and it looks like they did last night against the Rangers, they just need to bring shots from anywhere on the ice. Is you know If there's an open lane, take it. Because right now you don't have the skill in your lineup to you know <clears throat> try to look for the perfect stuff, and you just need to simplify. Take a step back and just say, we're just going to drive the net, put the puck on the net, look for the rebounds, and good things will happen. They happened last night, and thank God, because coming back off of COVID, if you go 0-3 in those three games, and if two of those losses are to the Rangers, a team that you still probably should beat based on who's in your lineup and who your goaltenders are, I think that's a big problem if they would have lost last night. And now with Buffalo, you know, we saw what they did to us early in the year, but I think that was just more of a fluke game. I think they're at least they're getting help from the schedule makers at this point, if not the hockey gods. Yeah, one of the interesting things I want to talk about from last night's game was they moved Nolan Patrick from uh, center to the wing. Mm-hmm. And so we played on a line with uh, 
Claude Giroux and Kevin Hayes. And it was his best game in a while. You know, Nolan Patrick's one of these guys who obviously misses all last season with the migraine disorder. He looks fantastic in camp. He's clearly healthy. However, it's the, the, the numbers haven't been there for him. I mean, Patrick right now has, has only got, you know, five, five points in 16 games. He's a minus four, which is, I think, tied for worst on the team. And he's just, he, he hasn't looked like he's wanted to get involved physically. He just hasn't been playing that well. And, and I even speculated on Twitter last week that maybe the, you know, migraine disorder, maybe he's, he doesn't want to go into the dirty areas um, cause you know, who, who knows, maybe he's doesn't want to, you know, get, get hit up high or get into it physically. And you just, you don't know, I didn't know. And so they actually, they decided to move him to wing and Elaine Vino said he wanted to, to change it up, to do something that he felt might get Patrick going. And he was thinking that if you put him on the wing, he'd, he'd have to go into the corners and maybe get more involved physically. And last night was Nolan Patrick's probably his best game of the season. He looked great on that on wing with Drew and Hayes. He was setting up plays. He was going to the corners. He was going to the net. I thought he looked really good last night. He could have had a bunch of points last night. So for me, that was a nice positive coming out of that game. You know, the Flyers basically stacked the top half of the lineup with the, the six good offensive guys that aren't on COVID. And then the bottom half of the lineup was, was not very good and predictably did not uh, play very well or w- they were not very effective when they were out there. But to me, you know, the way that Patrick played last night was, was very encouraging because he still remains a big X factor for this team. And Faraby just continues to be incredible. Faraby and JVR have got this chemistry. That's just been fantastic this season. Mm-hmm. Hayes and Giroux were fantastic last night. Couturier is Couturier. So the top half of the lineup really, drove the flyers last night and then you got offensive contributions from gustafson and and ghost which you know which was a big deal and brian elliott came up with the big saves when he had to so yeah there were some some good things that happened last night and and for me hopefully patrick can kind of keep that momentum going that he had last night because if he keeps playing like he did last night he will start getting some points well, thank God, because he's a guy that they could definitely use a little bit more out of, a lot more out of, you know, as the season comes to a close in the playoffs. You mentioned Brian Elliott, and I guess it's an old thing, kind of in sports and in hockey, that if you're not talking about the backup, it's usually a good thing. But I think right now that with the way Carter Hart's kind of been all season, just a little off, not himself, you know, he's kind of letting in the, the goals that he should have more so this year than we've seen in the past, and maybe that's a positioning thing. I don't think it's a mental thing with him because I think the kid is as strong mentally as most players in the NHL. But, I mean, all I could say is thank God for Brian Elliott because when – and this is exactly why you want a veteran goalie like him as your backup when you have a young starter like Hart who's going to go through trials and tribulations in his young career. There's peaks and valleys, even – the most seasoned veteran has peaks and valleys as a goaltender, but you know, Brian Elliott has just been solid, not even this year, but even last year when he just settled into the backup role behind Hart, it's like every time the flyers go to him, whether it be in relief or whether they're just going to him as a starter, especially this season. 
I feel like every time he's out there, he's just delivering solid performance after solid performance. He had a shutout earlier in the year. He is as steady as anybody on the Flyers right now. And without him to kind of, I mean, who knows? I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to speculate, but who knows how things could have went last night. They only won by a goal. Things could have went differently if Hart was in there. Just, you know, just based on how he's been playing. You saw, I kind of take Tahoe out of it because of what you said when you were talking about it. It was the outdoor game, the, the, for some reason, they decided to play this game at sunset, and I'm sure the angles looked weird with a weird backdrop of a mountain and tree line and stuff like that. I think the pictures of the Tahoe game were great, but I don't think they made it too aesthetically great for the players on the ice, but that's a whole different issue. But Brian Elliott right now, like I'm, like I said, has just been so solid for the Flyers, and I said it the other day, I would go to him again uh on Saturday against Buffalo and then give Hart the start on Sunday uh, on the back-to-back. But right now I, I would say that they need to make this kind of, you know, a 60, 40, maybe a little bit more in, in Elliot's favor split with the goalie matchup or with the goalie tandem, just until you see Carter Hart is kind of back on track and playing the way that we expect him to play. Yeah, I mean, we. I'm a huge Elliott fan. We've talked about this a lot over the last few years is that I, I think it's great that they've been able to sign him to these cheap deals, one- or two-year deals. Right now they're paying him and Carter Hart $2.2 million combined, which is insane. And, um, yeah, I mean, last year Elliott was great. He came in and he was a steadying force. And so I think that we're seeing it again this year. It's, it's just great to have him there. He's a good mentor for Hart. And, yeah, I would – you know, you look at the schedule coming up and let's see how many back-to-backs they've got. I mean, they've got a back-to-back this weekend. So you got to figure Hart will play one of those and Elliot will play one of those. Then you've got, you know, four games and, you know, the, the Penguins um, and then the Penguins two days later and then the Penguins again two days later. Oh, my God, we're going to have to see the Penguins the three, three in a row. Three games then in you a got row. The, cap, the Caps the next day. Then the Sabres two days later. So both both these guys are going to be playing a lot. They might not even alternate them. Uh, but yeah, you're going to we're going to be seeing a lot of both goalies. I would say coming up, man. The Flyers' schedule is just the March schedule is Dude, just March brutal. is got, terrible. They don't have they've got, they don't have more than a day off until the whole month. It looks like until April third is their first game coming off. They have more four back to backs. Four back to they almost have they have. 20 games in March? That's insane. Wow. That's ridiculous. Oh, man. Well, I guess I guess it's good they got the COVID out of the way in the lighter month. Yep. Oh, that's not good. So, yesterday, Mark Friedman uh, got claimed by Pittsburgh. Go figure. Obviously, you know, Ron Hextall has to like him. He drafted him. So, I'm sure once the Flyers put Friedman on waivers, Hextall probably you know, drop kicked Brian Burke's door open and said, we have to, we have to sign this guy <laughs> right now. I don't, I can't believe they did this. And really, you know, if you go on Twitter, people just like to, I, people just like to get mad for getting mad sake. If you went on Twitter, you would have said like, you would have thought if they, if you were a Martian just dropped on earth, you would be like, holy shit, this Friedman guy must've been great. This guy must've been like a hall of famer. And not to knock Mark Friedman, that's obviously not who he is. That's not his game. But I'm just, 
puzzling to me right now. I feel like Sam Moran is kind of like the Teflon Don. He's like John Gotti right now. And uh, he just nothing sticks to him. He's still getting I mean, right now they need him to play forward, which sucks, but even so, I got to imagine, you know, Gustafson played good last night, so it's weird to say this coming off of last night's game, but it's not like he's been the most steady force all season. And Friedman had some, you know, he had some grit to him, which they obviously need. I think he had some qualities that the lineup could use, you know, not every night, but there's some nights there where the the team they're playing is a little tougher. You could use a guy like him. He's a right-handed defenseman, which is so valuable. I just, it's not a huge move, but I feel like it's a move that didn't necessarily need to be made. Yeah, I mean, here's my thing is... I don't think that losing Mark Friedman is a, is a huge deal. Like it's obviously not going to make the difference for this team between winning a cup and not winning a cup. Right. But I thought I was actually pretty impressed with Mark Friedman last year and his small sample size with the flyers in the NHL. I thought he held his own on the third pair. He was actually, I think there were some games last year where he was playing minutes that, that you'd look at as a second pair guy. I, I might be wrong, but he's, I like Mark Freeman. He's a good skater. He competes well. He's not, you know, he's never going to be a great offensive player, but as a third pairing defenseman, I think he's, I think he's fine. I think he could actually turn into a decent third pairing NHL defenseman. And so for me, for them to expose him to waivers instead of guys like, you know, Andy Andreoff, um, no offense to, to him or, you know, some of these other guys that they could have put through on waivers it's just, just irresponsible to, to me. It's not right. good asset management. And maybe they thought that no one was going to claim Friedman, but you got to be smarter than that. You got to know that, hey, Ron Hextall, who drafted Friedman, just went to the Penguins. The Penguins kind of need some help on defense. So it was sort of predictable for me. And now you lose a guy in Mark Friedman who could be a decent third pairing defender for nothing. Meanwhile, you keep trotting out Robert Haig and Eric Gustafson, and I'm not convinced that Friedman isn't better than either of those guys. I mean, Haig, you know, I just don't think he's a very good defenseman. He's not, you know, he, people love pointing to his blocks and his hits, and that's fine, but his hits don't really ever change the complexion of a game. So, his, you know, he's, he's a good shot blocker, but that's about it. He doesn't really do much else. And Gustafson's been a disaster defensively. He's ch- he's chipped in some offensively. But I'm not sure that on a third pair, either of those guys is going to contribute more than a Friedman. So I just didn't think it was good asset management. Um, you know, it's not the end of the world, but I, 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 I think it was a, a bad decision by Fletcher to, to expose Friedman to waivers. Yeah, I mean, you know, they have three games coming up against the Penguins. You know he's scoring in one of them, at least one of them. And just get ready for that shitstorm, because you know it's coming. Um, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you on that. I'm, just, I'm trying to pull up the uh, the listener questions. Yeah, you know what? I want to talk about Ivan Provera for a second. Oh, okay. Because ah, I'm having this... I'm watching... You know, I love Ivan Program. I got the signed jersey in my basement. I was a big fan. Well, I got the freaking WHL package just to watch him when he was, you know, 18 years old and the Flyers had drafted him. I'm a huge Ivan Provorov fan. He's a beast in terms of 
a guy that's going to play every game can play 27 minutes. I'm not, I'm not sure he's ever going to take the step to being a elite NHL defenseman because I'm not sure. And I've been, you know, thinking about this a lot. I just, I don't know if he has the skill and or hockey IQ to become a top tier elite NHL defenseman. Cause I watch him play and he still fumbles the puck on the power play. He mm-hmm. still makes bad turnovers from time to time. His positioning in the defensive zone sometimes isn't great. And so it saddens me to say, and maybe he's got a lot more growth in him, but he's 24 years old. So it's not like he's a 20 year old anymore. And I think I, I'm starting to wonder if it's kind of like what you see is what you get and what you see is great. I mean, you got a guy who can play 27 minutes a game and he's, he never gets injured, knock on wood. So I think it's great, but I'm just, I just wanted to throw that out there that I'm, I've been starting to be, you know, a little bit concerned that he just maybe doesn't have the complete package to become a, you know, Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, um, Headman type of elite NHL D-man. You're saying he just doesn't have that it factor, doesn't do that one thing that just puts him. Uh, no, above. I don't know if I would say he doesn't have the it factor. I'm just I'm I'm saying that I don't think that he has the skill or the hockey IQ maybe to become an elite NHL defenseman. Yeah, I mean, we have talked about in the past that it seems like and it, I guess it's not just Elaine Vino because even under Dave Haxall, they would kind of do the same thing. It, it, it almost seems like they're trying to force him to be this power play guy that he's just not. And he frequently he's been on the top, you know, the top unit on the power play. And I've always thought that even during uh, Shane Gossespierre's downtimes, when he wasn't, you know, when he was going through the injuries and wasn't playing his best game, I still always thought he was a better option on the, fir- on the first power play than Provorov, just because, you know, in a small, and you know, in inside of two minutes, when you're largely setting up in the offensive zone, that's, when Gossespierre is at his best, when he's throwing that head fake at the blue line, making guys miss, kind of throwing them off, and just creating shot lanes, I f- you know I feel like that it was just always like because Provorov was Provorov, they just kind of plugged him into the first power play uh, unit, and you know I I always thought that uh, Gossespierre was kind of disrespected in that way just because he maybe doesn't have the name and he doesn't carry the weight that Provorov does throughout the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, I yes, I think Shane Gossesbear is a better power play defenseman than than Provorov, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, just to correct something I said, I, I think the Flyers. It looks like maybe it's seventeen games in in March. Still a lot. Still a lot. Still a significant amount of games. Uh, I'm just I'm trying to pull these fucking questions. Yeah, out. I've got them. I got the questions. Oh, yeah, I think I, I can pull them up here real quick. Let's see here. Um, it was only we had a couple couple questions came in from our uh, loyal listeners let's see what we got here um all right so the first question was from our buddy lou crescetto um at l crescetto 67 and he asked does it help the flyers in any way with friedman getting claimed by pittsburgh do you think fletch and hex had an unwritten agreement of some kind maybe something for us down the road now like I a don't back alley deal. Yeah, like a back alley deal. I certainly don't know. Um, you know, it's it's unknowable right now. My gut instinct tells me that Ron Hextall probably doesn't really want to have anything to do with 
Chuck Fletcher at the moment. And so I'm going to say that I think it's unlikely that Fletcher and Hextall have some kind of unwritten agreement. I think, in fact, Fletcher was probably really mad when when he saw that Hextall had put a claim in. Friedman even practiced with the Flyers the day that he was he 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 was going through waivers, which I think, you know, I think means that the Flyers thought that he was gonna clear waivers. So I don't think it helps the Flyers. I mean, maybe you, you, your, the argument could be it helps them by I don't know eliminating some glut of defensemen they have, but I I, I wouldn't buy that argument. I right. so I don't think it helps the Flyers, and I I doubt there was some kind of unwritten agreement. I like. I would like to think that uh, Chuck Fletcher and Ron Hextall just kind of secretly hate each other. I would like to think that. I don't know why. I think it's probably true. I don't think I would say that Fletcher – I don't think there's any reason for Fletcher to hate Hextall other than maybe the Friedman thing. But Yeah, I would guess. I just I, – I, I'd like to think that you know Hextall saw Friedman's name come across the, uh, the wire there and was just like, oh, what a fucking idiot. I knew he sucked at his job. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I want like inner, like Ron Hextall's inner thoughts to be like player Ron Hextall and not so much GM Ron Hextall. But I don't think it, I don't think Friedman getting claimed by them until he scores the goal in one of these three games coming up against Pittsburgh. I don't think it necessarily, it's not going to kill the Flyers. You know, it, it would have been nice. Like you said, they have a kind of a glut at defensemen, but for this year, most of that glut, isn't going to be NHL ready this year. So for this year with everything going on, obviously with COVID having a guy like Mark Friedman on an already weak, you know, blue line would have been very invaluable. I think for the flyers, you know, just given, cause you don't know who could possibly be out at any time. But you saw last week, names could come literally fast and furious. So I don't think it kills the flyers, but it, it, it it's not something that's going to cripple them. The other question we got was from Paul F. at GoalieZilla41, also a loyal listener to the show. He says, the team seems talented, but has a number of lackluster games for the past few years. What needs to happen for Fletcher to make a significant trade in the attempt to solidify them as a true contender? So I'm glad Paul asked this, because one of the things we didn't get to at the show um, was talking about some of these trade rumors. And so, you know, I think that the team very clearly needs a another top four defenseman and one of the guys you know that's name has come up recently is uh, Matthias Ekholm and Matthias Ekholm is a defenseman for the Nashville Predators and his name has come up uh, for a few reasons one is that Nashville is not playing very well at the moment they are second to last in the central division they're eight and ten uh, it doesn't look like the National Predators are going to be making the playoffs. Now, they've got a situation where they've got um, four really good uh, defensemen in Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, uh, Dante Fabro, and Ekholm. And you can only protect three of them for the expansion draft. So the rumors are that maybe Matthias Ekholm is on the block, the trade block. He's a left-handed defenseman, which isn't necessarily perfect for the Flyers because you'd want to have a right-handed D to play with Provorov. And he's got a cap hit for the next two years of $3.75 million. And what that means is, well, if the Flyers trade for him, they're going to, you know, if they want to keep him for both years, they have to protect him in the expansion draft. And now you're talking about 
the Flyers are in the same situation as Nashville, where you're, you, you know, you've got to protect Provorov, Sanheim, Myers, and Ekholm. You can only protect three of them, unless you only protect four forwards, which I, which I, would then put you in a position where you might lose Patrick or Lindblom for nothing. So it's a, you know, Ekholm is is a guy that the Flyers need to check in on, see what what they'd have to give up to get him. I think you'd be probably looking at something like a first round pick and Nashville's probably going to push for a prospect like Bobby Brink or Morgan Frost plus plus a first round pick. I don't, I would not do that. I would try and get it to a prospect level where it's something like a first round pick and Isaac Ratcliffe or Wade Allison or Tanner Luzinski, um, something like that. But it's going to be a situation to develop because Ekholm is very talented and, you know, maybe you could put him on the right side or maybe you have Provorov and Myers as the top pair and then you put Ekholm and Sanheim on the second pair. But uh, but he's a guy that the Flyers definitely need to look in on. And yes, Paul, like the Flyers need to make a move if they want to be, be considered a cup contender this year. And the move needs to be adding a top four defenseman. Yeah, I understood coming out of the offseason why maybe he didn't, he being Chuck Fletcher, uh, why he maybe didn't make a move as far, you know, as far as a big ad. Obviously, the Gus is a move after Niskanen went down. But even after, if Niskanen, I feel like, didn't retire, I the Gustafson move probably doesn't happen. It probably would have just been a different depth move to kind of bolster the blue line a little bit. I understood not making a huge move in the offseason because you wanted to, in a short offseason, you wanted to see what you had and just kind of roll with, you know, the chemistry aspect of things going into the season. Now you've ha- you've played a few a couple months now, and you see what your holes are. So I like Chuck Fletcher. I think he's a guy that doesn't really sit on his hands in a lot of situations. So I, I believe that he knows what the Flyers need to do to take them to the next level as far as being a cup contender. Ekholm definitely does that. You know, we've, thanks to Ron Hextall, who I hope hates Chuck Fletcher, but thanks to Ron Hextall, we, this team is built young and it's built through homegrown guys and they're built for the long haul now. So if you have to give up a first round pick, you know, a few years ago, that would have been ridiculous to even think about. But right now, if you have to give up a first round pick to get a guy that makes you that puts you in a good position to be a Stanley Cup champion and be a Stanley Cup contender, forget about being a champion, just a contender, because obviously right now, obviously right now they're not good enough. And this team, as currently constructed, even at full go with all their all the, with a full roster I still don't think it's good enough to win a Stanley Cup it's not even good enough to beat the Bruins right now so they need to make a move if Ekholm's a move fine great because they need help on the blue line if it's a forward I see you know Philip Forsberg's name again from Nashville has been floated out there a few times wouldn't hate that either if they wanted to just add scoring and add another talented depth player that would be good too but one way or another if this team's going to be in the conversation for the Stanley Cup when the playoffs start up. They have to make a move. Chuck Fletcher has to make this team better because they're not good enough right now to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, it's funny. I'm reading an article right now on uh, one of the National Predators blogs about Ekholm and the trades. And this guy has the Flyers as the top, top trade destination. And he lists three possible trades that he thinks could work. One is 
um, a first rounder, Morgan Frost and Eric Gustafson, including Gustafson because some salary has to go the other way. The uh, Scott Lawton, Nolan Patrick, a second round pick. And the third trade would be Shane Gostisbehere, a 2022 first and a 2021 conditional. So all of those are trades that are not far off what a trade mm-hmm. could look like. I'm not sure I would move Morgan Frost um, or Nolan Patrick for a rental in Ekholm because, you know, Ekholm is only going to be here two years max. And I guess he could resign. The other issue right now is he's injured. He's week to week with a lower body injury. So obviously the Flyers need to make sure that he's, he's healthy. But, you know, it does look like, you know, even the Predators fans see that the Flyers might be the best, best match. Well, that almost assuredly means that we're not going to get him. <laughs> Once we're going to get some guy, we're going to get some guy that like nobody wants and it's just going to be a cheap deal and damn it. <coughs> That's already. All right. So. Sorry, I had to take a sip of water there. Um, So what, what, like we talked about real quick as we close it out here. After this back-to-back against Buffalo, they go three straight against Pittsburgh, and then it's Washington-Buffalo, two against Washington, two against the Rangers, two against the Islanders. Three against the Islanders. Three against the Islanders. Shit, I didn't see that one snuck in there. It's all uh, the same teams over and over again. Yeah, it's it's a – I thought this was going to be fun, and it's not. I was looking forward to – I told you it wasn't going to be you fun. You did. You did. Uh, you know, here we are about to start the month of March, and I'm over all these teams. Um, <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, hey, this is going to be great. We're going to we're gonna hate these teams, and it's going to be, you know, hard, old-school hockey, just, throw, you know, snarling and throwing guys around, and it's not that. It's it's very boring. I need, I need a, a 10 o'clock West Coast game in San Jose right now to kind of – break up the monotony. Yeah, it's uh yep, exactly. One other question. I this is another thought that I had. You're the perfect person to ask. Born in 79, you've seen decades of hockey now. You've been all of the 80s, 90s, 2000s. Feels like centuries right. from what the Flyers <laughs> right. have put put us through. What do you think or which do you think is the best decade of hockey? Cuz to me, I have this theory that I just kind of hatched the other day, but I have this theory that the world didn't truly start until the 1990s. Like nothing, nothing before the 90s. The people, like people, weren't fully developed before the 90s. The 90s is when like society truly began, and when like our society today looks looks more like the 90s than any other decade ever. So the 90s is when life began, and I, that's what I think was the best decade of the NHL just because the players were just, I mean, not that there weren't great, great players in the other, uh, in the other eras, obviously, but I just feel like the game was reaching a little bit more fast pace and it was, I don't know. The guys were finally, like I said, society was real. Now people were fully developed. They were bigger than they've ever been before. I just think the nineties was a great time for the NHL. And I'm interested you, somebody that's, you know, went on your diatribe earlier about Eric Lindros. Obviously, you know the '90s, and I would—I think you would agree with me. Yeah. So, you know, for me, one of the the most fun seasons ever in the NHL was '92, '93, and the reasoning was was that 
you had two guys both score 76 goals Ridiculous. and one of them was of one of them was a rookie like t and and it, it just happened to become basically my favorite non-flyer of all time was was timu solani who comes over you know he comes over from um finland and he's 22 years old and the guy puts up 76 goals and it doesn't even lead the end he's a rookie and he scores 76 goals and it doesn't even lead the nhl he's tied with alexander mcgillney who was on this incredible line in buffalo with um pat lafontaine and um i guess it was you know howard chuck and uh, on that line as well mm-hmm. and then you look at the the points and mario lemieux at 160 points that year in 60 games and to me lemieux was the most he's the most talented dominant hockey player i've ever seen and so it was kind of like you know peak mario lemieux he's 27 years old he had solani scoring 76 goals mcgillney with 76 goals it's just incredible to me pavel bure put up 60 goals he was so fun to watch so to me that season 92 93 kind of really sticks out to me as a as a fun season in the nhl so i was right it's the 90s yeah Good night. All right, good. All right, Dan. Well, if people want to argue with argue with you about the fact that you don't think that um, they will, yeah, okay. Well, that you don't think that Ivan Provorov will ever reach elite status in the NHL. Where can they argue with you about that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, dsilver88, and uh, yeah, maybe I'll post some of that stuff today i have some other thoughts about carter hart's next contract and whatnot but yes uh d silver 88 on twitter and um there you go good and you can follow me on twitter at mark flagman two ends you can follow this show uh at underscore getting bullied you can get this show anywhere you get your podcast through the hockey podcast network follow them on twitter too while you're at it at hockey pod net so it is a gauntlet of a month coming up for the Flyers in March. They still have to get through the last two in February, though, back-to-back against Buffalo. I'm going to say two wins just because I'm a little tired. I've only slept for an hour, and maybe I'm delirious. But the three against Pittsburgh is going to be its when the gauntlet starts in March, so it's going to be exciting. Before you know it, we're going to be coming down the home stretch talking about the playoffs. But before we get there, let's get players back healthy. So if everyone, if the Flyers are listening, just be healthy. Stay indoors. Don't go out. Door dash it. It's fine. Everyone else out there, enjoy your life. And let's go Flyers.